Good morning, good afternoon and good evening. This is the Old Blokes Music Podcast and this is podcast number 94, another favourite special. said at the start is another favorite special um some people seem to like the the last one i've done so i thought i'd do another one uh the last one i picked five albums i thought were perfect or near on damn it perfect in my opinion and five tracks away from them five albums that i really really liked and i spoke about why i liked them why they meant so much to me etc 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 so that was the basis for doing this podcast and when i picked the five albums and i picked the five tracks it was only about 35 36 minutes of music so i thought all right i'll pick an extra album an extra album and an extra uh, track so it's uh, six tracks and then six tracks from six albums that i think are perfect or near as damn it perfect um and with all podcasts i tend to start with an instrumental and you heard you only live twice uh, the, the, from the soundtrack of the film of the same name from 1967 composed by john barry um, i believe it was his fourth james bond film composition um and in the film the, the 
the words are sung by Nancy Sinatra, I believe. So that's one of my 12 songs, or 12 bits of music you'll be hearing. And I believe it's the only instrumental. So for anyone out there who's not a fan of instrumentals, that's your one and only one. It's out of the way. Sticking with 1967, uh, we're going to have something very very influential to so many people and uh, hopefully you enjoy it as much as I do Emily tries but misunderstands Often inclined to borrow somebody's dreams till tomorrow. but I am not the world's biggest Pink Floyd fan and I probably do enjoy, if I'm honest, their earlier stuff, the psychedelic stuff that Sid Barrett wrote and um, seemingly Play was their second single, the first being Arnold Lane and I can't remember how old I was when I first heard this tune but as soon as I heard it, I absolutely loved it. It was this... um, obviously too young to understand about psychedelics and whatever but there was something really mysterious and dreamlike about it and um 
until recently, I, I, I like I say I'm no Floyd fan. I didn't realise it didn't actually appear on a single uh, LP apart from compilations in this country at least, and um, it actually appears on uh, Piper at the Gates of Dawn, the US version, I believe. I think I remember reading that somewhere. Uh, but interestingly enough, the man who produced this record, a man by the name of Norman Smith, um, he started out as a, an engineer, or when he got into working in recording studios, he started out as an engineer uh, at EMI, and he engineered on all the Beatles stuff up to and including 65, or certainly the last thing he'd done with the Beatles was Rubber Soul, and... Uh, one of the things he learned from the Beatles is instead of Norman, John Lennon preferred to call him Normal because he seemed very unflappable, he was very laid back and whatever. And uh, after Mr Smith had left EMI, he went on and done some other things and uh, he ended up producing numerous bits of music for numerous bands, including early Pink Floyd. And until this very day... Um, I never knew that he was a recording artist in his own right and had two hits, one of which was a massive hit, both sides of the Atlantic, in the early 70s, a song called Oh Babe, and he recorded that under the name Hurricane Smith. So, check that out. Anyway, we're now going on to one of my favourite, favourite albums of all time. Play the tune, and then I'll talk about it afterwards.
was the unmistakable voice of Mary Isabel Catherine Bernadette O'Brien, or as most people knew her, Dusty Springfield. I think it's quite well known that uh, Dusty started out in a, uh, her first professional group were called the Larnes Sisters, and then after that her and a brother and a friend formed the Springfields, and that was where she started to get her success, and then her success grew, and... Uh, you know, she had transatlantic hits. She was the British Queen of Soul. Um, such a, such a, such a soulful voice. And that track, So Much Love, comes from the album Dusty in Memphis, recorded in 1965. All the backing tracks and that were recorded in Memphis. And then Dusty done the vocals in New York, as I remember. And um, it, it was no... There was no slouches on this session at all, you know. It was uh, producers included Jerry Wexler, uh, Tom Dowd. Uh, the backing vocalists were the Sweet Inspirations, who was such a soulful group in their own respect. Uh, and bassist Tommy Tommy Cogabill, I think his name was, and Reggie Young, guitarist, um, both of whom have worked with well. Tommy worked with the likes of Aretha and um, Wilson Pickett and Reggie Young, the guitarist, worked with so many, he even worked with Elvis and people like that, you know, that, like I say, it was such a pedigree um, team, that's the only word for it, team in making this LP. And Dusty's voice is just like the final instrument laid over the top of everything. Um, it is such a such a great album and I, I think um, everyone's going to know Son of a Preacher Man and Breakfast in Bed off of that album but um, you know songs written by uh, Jerry Goffin and Carol King are on there um, it's got about four or five written by them if I remember rightly it's got a cover of The Windmills of Your Mind it is just such a great great LB, LP and uh, that came out early the year I was born and I remember being quite young and first hearing Dusty's voice on the radio and some of my mum and dad's records. And, uh, you know, I always liked her, like the tracks Middle of Nowhere and whatever. And it was only as I got older and started going off in different directions musically and listening to other bits and pieces and got more heavily into the soul thing. I finally got round to listening to Dusty in Memphis and it is a great LP, just such a great LP. Right, next track is from another LP that I deem to be pretty damn great And that was brought out six years after the Dusty LP And uh, the track I'm going to play is 2 minutes 39 seconds long <laughs>
Nevada Jetty, the track I Don't Mind, released early 1975. Taking their nod from uh, the blues of the Mississippi Delta, these four were on the Thames Delta, namely a spot of land just off the coast of Essex called Canvey Island which probably at its peak is probably no more than six foot above sea level, eight foot at the very most. But uh, these four figures, rated by um, Mojo in the top 100 debut albums of all time. I mean, this is pre-punk. It's often classed as R&B, blues, uh, pub rock. Um, pub rock where the 101ers, uh, which was Joe Strummer's band before The Clash, uh, the likes of Nick Lowe, um, Dave Edmonds, uh, uh, Ian Jury, um, originally Kilburn and the High Roads, they all kind of learnt their, done a lot of their apprenticeship in music, shall we say. Uh, but this whole album, Down by the Jetty, is, not say, it's pre-punk, but you can see why it has influenced so many bands of the punk era, um, the likes of Paul Weller and Bob Geldof, um, Blondie, the Ramones, uh, Richard Hell, and uh, Ramones and Richard Hell were introduced to that this very album by Clem Burke of uh, Blondie. Um, it's an album full of originals and covers, covers like Boom Boom by John Lee Hooker, um, stuff, uh, Mick Green, uh, the track Boney Maroney Tequila, um, you know, it's got, it's got s covers where, that sat so well with their own material, and, um, at this time they were, when this album came out, they was absolutely flying, and I've seen various documentaries about them, and, uh, you know, like they say, Lee Brilio, who was their enigmatic frontman, uh, would wear normally a white suit on stage. And uh, he started the tour wearing this white suit, and he finished the tour wearing it, and it rarely left his body. And people said he looked like a uh, second-hand car salesman, the worst kind you could possibly meet. And he would probably look like if you didn't buy the car, you'd, he'd smash your face in for the hell of it. You know, he he just looked quite a menacing front man, spitting and snarling. And uh, then you had dear old Wilco on guitar, combining rhythm and lead at the same time. Such a fantastic guitar style. Such a, again, an enigmatic front man he was just on the move constantly, 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 constantly. And uh, while Lee Brilio left us some years ago, and we nearly lost Wilco, Wilco's still hanging in there, so uh, long may that continue. And thank you for the years of pleasure you've given not just me, but so many other people. Right, we're now leaping forward two years. We're staying in the 70s, and we're going to 1977. <laughs> Thank you. 
from 1977 I was a mere eight years old and while I would have heard it at the time it was a tune that I become probably more increasingly aware of once I kind of got into my teens and um, while it's while it's not normally my bag that kind of music there's no doubt in the musicianship of Earth, Wind and Fire um, when I say that kind of music I don't know it's, it just seems really really slick it seems too polished but then when you put it against the time of 1977, is it that slick and polished? <laughs> yes, it's probably highly glossed compared to a lot of stuff of around that time. Um, but for me, just a great, great tune. One that I just seem to like more and more as time passes. Right, we're now going to have another selection from one of my, in my humble opinion, fantastic, wonderful LPs. And uh, this LP came out in 1980, and uh, this track is precisely 3 minutes 47 seconds long. <laughs> Feel 
Dexas Midnight Runners and the track Tell Me When My Light Turns Green and that was from their 1980 LP Searching for the Young Soul Rebels. Now a lot of people outside the UK are probably only really familiar with Dexas and uh, the track Come On Eileen, perhaps Two Raya and uh, Jackie Wilson said, but um, the first incarnation of Dexas, uh, which started about late 78 79 something like that um very very different kind of like a post-punk new wave um soulful unit they were and apparently um kevin Rowland and uh he's a uh, second in command kevin archer i think his name was they auditioned some like 40 different musicians and uh whittled it down to 18 total including themselves to form the nucleus of um, the original Dexas Midnight Runners and the whole emphasis was on uh, almost like a, a, a punk type aggression in its delivery but with very soulful undertones and overtones you know there's no mistaking it with the heavy brass influence driving bass you could dance to it you know you could dance to it and it wasn't out of place you know with a uh, the, the soul classics you know they they covered seven days too long um which is on the album originally by chuck wood um you know, they, they that was the soul classics were regulars in their early repertoire and this whole album which includes gino which uh gino come out about march of 1980 and this album this lp come out july of the same year um gino went to number one and uh you know that was the launch pad for this album and uh in true kevin Rowland style you know he dismantled and rebuilt it to become like these celtic gypsy band you know like he was like a gypsy troubadour or something like that i don't know um but you know a very different appearance to the early dexies that wore like the woolen skull caps and uh you know, like a beanie, a woolen wood, a beanie hat, donkey jackets, taking their influence from um, films like On the Waterfront and things like that. A very tough, working class kind of image. And uh, it's such a, such a great album. Not not a duff track on there. So if you want something that's a bit up-tempo, something a, a bit soulful, something a bit muscly, and when I mean muscly, I don't mean as in full of macho. I just mean, you know, it's got some muscle to the music. It's not weak and insipid. You can't go far wrong with searching for the Young Soul Rebels by Dexit's Midnight Runners. Um, I can't recommend it enough. So that's another one of my, um, in my humble opinion, pretty much complete albums. And as it turns out, the next three tracks you're going to hear are the remaining three albums uh, in this podcast that I believe are pretty much complete. So um, that was 1980. We're now jumping forward 16 years to, I think it was the summer, it was definitely 96, but I'm sure it's the summer of 96. Uh, I'll play the tra track and uh, talk about it afterwards. <laughs>
That was Beth Horton and the track Someone's Daughter from the album Trailer Park. Like I say, that came out in 96. Now, it was only when I was doing a bit of research for this podcast, I, I had a, I was pretty darn confident that was her first LP. It turns out that was her first solo LP. She did bring out an LP before that, about three years earlier, with um, William Orbit of Orbital. Uh, but this was her first solo LP. And... Um, it combines folk electronica and trip hop, which was something that people used to speak about back then. And apparently, this album earned Beth Orton the equivalent of, well, earned her two Brit Award nominations, which is kind of like the British equivalent of the Grammys, I think. Um, it, again, like I say, this fantastic album. Um, while doing the research, I'd. I didn't realise how poorly it sold, and the singles even more so. But um, it just seemed like uh, the album, the the song I'm going to play next, the album that the next song I'm going to play is from. These two albums just seem to be everywhere at this period in the nineties. Um, it does. Uh, it features a cover of uh, Phil Spector's "I Wish I Never Saw the Sunshine." And um, I must admit, I wasn't familiar with the original version. And um, I thought the Beth Orton one was the original version. And I was shocked, stunned uh, to find out it was a cover. Uh, don't forget, this is pre-internet day. So we didn't have databases at our fingertips. So it took a lot of legwork and whatever to find stuff out often. And, um, and I totally fell in love with her version of it. And... No matter what, I would not see that it was inferior to uh, the, Sp- the Phil Spector version. But it is a go- this is a gorgeous LP. It's like I say for me, it takes me back to summer. It actually came out um, in October, but I think it is the cover more than anything. The cover shows Beth in like a profile. Her face is obscured by her hair. She's got a pair of cons on, which was pretty unusual then. You know, people wearing cons back in the, you know, 25 years ago, it was, you know, it was all about certain footwear and it wasn't necessarily about Converse, Chuck, Chuck Taylor All-Stars. But, uh, yeah, so she's she's kind of sat in profile, this watery sunshine filtering through. And the, the, the cover, what I say, evokes summer. And um, the, the music, uh, the tunes, the musicality of it, it has such this an air of lightness about it. It really does. Even like I say, uh, I wish I never saw the sunshine. The cover of that, it's there's a deafness of touch to it. That it, you know, she was um, one of the first to fuse elements of sixties and seventies folk with um, like I say, modern electronica. And I, I, while doing the research, um, I see the genre attributed to this album, Trailer Park, is folktronica well that was the first time i'd ever heard that so um it shows i'm not that worldly wise when it comes to music right as i say uh next album the next track i'm going to play is from another album that i think is pretty darn complete or near as damn it and um this album came out two years after beth orton's trailer park and this track features a uh, female on lead vocals (laughs) 
glasses All I need a place to find And there I'll celebrate All in all There's something to give from the 1998 debut album uh, Moon Safari by the French pop duo Air. Um, like I said, uh, this LP and Beth Orton's Trailer Park, there seemed to be so much promo stuff floating around in. Do you remember them things called record shops? Every town and city had lots of them, it seemed, back then. But, um, yeah, there, there just seemed to be loads and loads of promo stuff. Um dotted around for these two albums especially and um you know we, we'd had like 96 was like getting towards the end of Britpop 96 97 and as I've said in other podcasts uh, if one thing Britpop did do it kind of it wasn't just straight ahead rock you know there was a lot of acknowledgement of previous influences for, especially from the 60s and whatever 60s and 70s early 70s um there was a lot of collaborations going on between the Britpop bands and 
artists that you normally wouldn't associate them with you know if, if you're thinking of like the chemical brothers they've done so much work with some of the Britpop bands and yeah it might give them some dance orientated acts uh, a bit of a leg up because some of these Britpop bands were bloody massive you know but it worked both ways because it brought a dance audience to a rock environment that they probably wouldn't normally come to and Air and uh, Beth Orton, they kind of, well, they weren't following the uh, Britpop path. They did, or certainly Beth Orton benefited from it, but she found herself getting lots of support slots on, um, you know, very high-profile tours, and, um, you know, it helped her get uh, increase her audience. Like I say, a lot of the uh, Britpop fans were fond of um, their chemicals shall we say and so things like air were like the perfect end to an evening or a weekend even if you'd been on one for 48 hours it was kind of like some of the most ultimate wind down kind of music you know I've, I've looked at the genres attributed to this one LP and it's described as electronica chill out down tempo and space pop um three singles come off this lp sexy boy kelly watch the stars and the one you just heard all i need and um it's it's not say it's basically two guys who play more or less every instrument there's a couple of people that have come on come in and done a couple of bits and pieces here and there but it is just basically these two guys beth hirsch wrote the lyrics to um this track all i need and uh, she wrote lyrics to another one on the LP. I can't think what it's called now. But it is, you know, even if you're not um, a friend of the illegal substances, if you've had a bit of a stressful day or whatever, it is very ambient. It's, yeah, Space Pop is uh, a good name to give it. You know, it's very chilled. It's it's like musical liquid i think is the only way i can describe it it does there's a certain buoyancy to it that kind of envelopes you and um there's a warmth to it that isn't always common in a lot of electronic music uh, for me personally a lot of electronic music can come across as quite stark and a bit cold but there's a lot of warmth in this Right, we are now leaving the 90s and we're going into the 2000s. The the wise and uh, the eagle-eyed and eared amongst you will have worked out. We've started in 1967 and we're coming nearer to the present day. Well, that's what I've done on the last one. And what I've done on the last one is I actually finished with the oldest track and I'm doing the same again. So while um, we're heading into the 2000s... Uh, there's a few more tracks after that, but the last one takes us back to the 60s. Anyway, back to we're going back to the 2000s. 2002, to be precise.
Silent Sigh from the LP About a Boy by the ridiculously talented Badly Drawn Boy aka Damon Goff and when I say ridiculously talented if you look at uh, what instruments and what he does on this LP he does vocals, acoustic guitar, electric guitar bass, piano, synthesizer, keyboard Celeste, Fender Rhodes, xylophone harmonica backing vocals, horns, strings, flute, percussion, triangle, and he's also co-producer. Which is no mean feat if uh, you've been in the business, you know, a good couple of decades. You know, it's the sort of thing you expect from Paul McCartney, isn't it? But this was Badly Drawn Boy's second LP. Only his second LP. He was something like 33 years old. His first LP... Um, Hour of Bewilder Beast was a um, fantastic record. That's a great LP as well. But this one, he was given the job of writing the complete soundtrack for the film About a Boy. And that song he just heard and something to talk about were two of the tunes from the LP that were released as singles. Um, it's, it, it just staggers me that someone can be that brilliant and do everything like that. And it's, again, it's a a very, certainly not aggressive, but I'm I'm just in total awe of this man's talent. Total, total awe. And um, he doesn't do, this isn't like his uh, 
stock in trade this sort of music you know he does all all sorts of music but uh it's a fantastic lp like i say time and time again i've used uh, quite a bit of the incidental music from this lp as introductions to my podcasts or pieces to to link one thing to another on my podcasts um i beg you if you've i've seen the film and i'm not a film person but <laughs> I saw the film sometime after buying the LP because I'd bought The Hour of Bewilderbeast and um, I was so into that. That's what made me get this one. And um, I'll be honest, yeah, I enjoyed the film. I can't remember a terrific amount about it apart from Hugh Grant's in it. But um, even if it wasn't the soundtrack to a film, it just stands up as an LP in its own right, in my opinion. It's so, so, so good. And... um, not to say this was a film soundtrack. You had John Barry earlier. You only live twice. But uh, apart from that, the Beth Orton LP, but perhaps not Beth Orton, I don't know. Definitely the Air LP, uh, Moon Safari. That is like manna from heaven for cinematography. I, I would say that LP is, along with this, obviously, which was its whole purpose, was to serve as a soundtrack. And... Um, it's it's just fantastic. And what I will say is the next song you're going to hear, which is from two years later, 2004, for me, is another track that there's just... It's the, musical, it's the musical side of it. It's the imagery within the lyrics. For me, this next song wouldn't be out of place in some movie possibly a modern movie that's been shot in black and white. Running away 
was the tune for Lovers by Wolfman, also known as Peter Wolf, from Tunbridge in Kent, with uh, vocals by Pete Doherty of Libertines and Baby Shambles. And um, I've said it many, many, many times. I'm not a great film watcher. I normally tend to watch them under duress or I have to have some real vested interest in them, but it doesn't stop my mind wandering when I hear music and making me... I don't know, there's so much music I hear and I, I can imagine it being used in a film, even though I've got such poor knowledge of films. And this is one of them tunes. As soon as I heard it, it just made me think of old black and white films, things like... Uh, brief encounter things like that you know it's the the imagery in the lyrics is so strong and peter doherty's vocal is so unlike baby shambles and the libertines it's, it's such a departure from what he had been doing and for me it's just such an exquisite song and it's just under four minutes long but um it's just perfect, in my opinion. It's just a perfect, perfect song. And I think I drove my kids absolutely crazy. Because, you know, back in the days of... I think I'd... Yeah, I would have had a home computer by then. And I would have been making my own discs for the car. I think all the discs I made at one point would end up having this on it. Somewhere or other, this track. I liked it that much, you know, and I think we're all guilty of that, as it went like when we do um, playlists and um, mixtapes and mix CDs, you know, there's certain tracks that seem to crop up on them a lot, and guilty, Your Honour, I was, that was my go-to with so many tracks. Right, the last, the penultimate track, and the last from the 2000s, we are going to 10 years ago. 2011 and something a bit more up tempo. <laughs>
penultimate track I went 10 years back The Go Team and the tune Tornado from their LP Rolling Blackouts uh, How did I discover The Go Team? Um, if I'm honest it was a impulse purchase whilst in a supermarket here in the UK it was um, their Proof of Youth LP their second LP out there's just something about the cover. I'd, I remember va I vaguely remember reading something in a magazine about them and saying, you know, about their influences using samples and um, it was they likened, you know, the reviewer likened it to um, almost like a madcap Sesame Street and uh, Double Dutch and. Not say samples, but it was actually done by a band and not just one person. Well, um, the main man Ian behind the Go Team, he he's really like the the guy with the ideas and the inspiration and everything. But you go and see them live; they are phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. I know the lineups changed a bit, but there's normally two drum kits on stage, um, so there's always someone playing bass, someone playing guitar. Uh, normally ninja on the vocals um, and then one or two people playing drums and or somebody on keyboard so it's like it can be eight, like six people on the stage and it's um the band they're not static they're constantly jumping about ninja the vocalist you know she um she raps she sings soulful she's spitting rhymes it's just it's a sort of gig you go in and you come out drenched in sweat and with the biggest smile on your face. You really, really do. It's um, There's something about their music, a lot of the artwork for their videos and uh, um, the, the recordings themselves are very much cut and paste and, you know, almost harking back to older days and I suppose you could liken their music to that because it does take mishmashes of all different stuff and again so much of their stuff um, on their albums you could imagine is like some incidental music from like some educational program from the 70s or something but with a bit of a twist it's it's mad but it's a great kind of mad and well there you go that's my my penultimate track as i said earlier on i'm gonna finish with the oldest tune and uh that's what i'm gonna do obviously what can i say about this next tune i'm not gonna say nothing
shows a day in Hamburg the Beatles finally committed to vinyl in 1962 as the backing band for Tony Sheridan and the track My Bonnie less than 18 months later their fourth single She Loves You was also their second number one this isn't the most adventurous of choices, people may say. It's hardly anything from Abbey Road or Revolver or, you know, Sergeant Pepper or whatever. But it's a tune that I remember hearing when I was very, very young. And bear in mind, I was born at the end of the 60s. This had already been out six years. The Beatles were on the point of splitting up when I was born. But it's a tune that is so, so familiar to me. And these were, you know, they were still kids, basically. And they were writing their own material by now. You know, they weren't relying on Tim Pan Alley or whatever to come up with the tunes. And I heard this tune again the other day by chance on radio. And I was just listening to it and I thought, what would it have been like to have been like a teenager like back then in 63 15 years old in this country you were finishing school and going out to work at the age of 15 so 1963 you're 15 the world's opening up to you you've just come off rationing in in the late 50s everything's going from black and white into technicolor and then the Beatles burst out with this. And I think we're all familiar with the footage of them playing this tune. Everyone's shaking their heads. You know, Ringo's got a permagrin on his face behind the drum kit as he's playing away. And it is... Like I say, it's not the most adventurous of choices, but it is a tune that is indelibly inked on my mind. And countless millions of others and um i was looking up some stats about this about this very tune she loves you and um this record set and surpassed several sales records in the uk charts and it also set a record in the us as one of five beatles songs that held the top five positions in the charts simultaneously in april 64 
This tune remains the band's best-selling single in the UK, and, t- and it is also the top-selling single of the 60s in the UK. So 10 years of the 7-inch single, this outsold more than any other record in them 10 years. It's just, and it it just lifts you. Again, it's a tune that, no matter how familiar with it, it does put a pep in your step. And nobody can resist doing the yeah, yeah, yeahs, whether they're doing it out loud or in their head. It is just, again, the use of perfection or whatever. They were still, I mean, they were still, what, a year and that's, I think that's what makes it even more unbelievable is they went from this and then within a year they were doing Rubber Soul and then a year after that they were, all, well, 18 months or whatever they were doing Rubber Soul and then after that Revolver you know, how'd, how'd you go from She Loves You to Dr. Robert to Tomorrow Never Knows to In My Life or Here, There and Everywhere that's another story the four lads from Liverpool. Um, I know Elvis was the first, and he influenced them, along with mon- many other influences they had. But he did influence them. But they, they like lots of other great artists. They take the baton and then do something with it, and that's what they done. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Uh, I may do another one in this similar vein. We'll see. Anyway, take care. Hopefully, speak to you very soon. Now is the time to say goodbye. Goodbye. Now is the time to yield a sigh. Yield it, yield it. Now is the time to wend away. Chap Shakespeare was bold but sexy. Oh, take that rhythm away with its wonderful melodies. Oh, goodbye, they say. Goodbye, goodbye. Why not say it again? Goodbye.